I actually want to go back a bit further. Tell me about the first sort of, I don't know, few years. What was life like for you growing up in Ukraine? Yeah, so basically at first I thought a very nice family, very lovely family. But then suddenly I recognized that I was sexually abused by my brother, mm -hmm. five years old. I was abused him physically and emotionally until 27 years old. So you were actually very young, but your your father was, uh, I guess he didn't know about what that was happening exactly. to your brother, but your father was teaching you about boundaries and you were able to use that with your brother to stop. I don't want you to do that. My father later, he became an alcoholic. Yes. And exactly at that time when I need him, yeah, I want to talk with someone and I find out about this at 10 years old. Mm. I was small, I didn't know what happened to me. Yeah. So around 10 years old, I recognized that I was sexually abused. Yes. And I thought my father would help me, but he became an alcoholic. So he wasn't available. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't able to support you. How old was your brother, if you don't mind me asking? That is eight years between us. Very complex difficult things to be dealing with so early on in life. Hi, my name's Ella McChrystal and this is The New Mind. Today's guest is Natalia Sokol. Now, Natalia is from the Ukraine. She's been in the UK for about a year and a half. And as you would imagine, along with that is a big story about how Natalia's life has changed. But there's also other parts of Natalia's story that go back to childhood um, that really are very important to hear. Um, she's going to share lots of things today that might be relevant to your own story. And even if it's not exactly the same, um, I know you're going to be inspired. And I know that Natalia's got so much to bring to the table in terms of her wisdom uh, through her experiences, which have been extremely difficult. And I think she's amazing. She's also very, very beautiful, which we just said about before we started to record that can be a blessing and a curse because depending on the person that you're talking to or that you're communicating with will depend on the experience you have. Um, but there's so much to dig into today. So less of me and welcome, Natalia. Thank you Thank for being you. here. Thank you for having me today. Well, I, I did ask you to come on because I had had some communication with you through Instagram we know some of the same people um and talking about Jack Feely actually in particular and some of the, some other people yeah. that we both know and I know you've got this real story and I, I follow what you do and and obviously I mentioned your beauty there because it, it you are striking to look at so it's hard not to notice you but also you are so kind and so lovely. I know that you read my book and I think one of the first conversations we had was just this, you were just so beautiful with your feedback and so kind and it made me feel so lovely that I thought, here's a person that I want to talk to, you know, and I wanted to share you because your story is, well, heartbreaking but fascinating as well just because of how you've managed to survive and I think it's really important for people to hear. Now, I know that when I asked you to come on, one of the first things you said was, I've got such a strong accent being yeah. from Ukraine. And I just wanted to reference that because it's not a problem. Um, we will work our way through it. So there may be times when you don't know what word to, to use or what, I'm, what I mean. And we will just work it out as we go along. Thank you. But you speak beautifully. So I don't think you need to worry about it. Um, but it does show that you've only been here for a year and a half, as I said. You came here because of the Ukraine war. Yeah. Um, but I actually want to go back a bit further. I would like to go back to your childhood. Uh, it's where I start with everybody. So if that's okay. Yeah. Tell me about the first sort of, I don't know, few years, maybe from birth, teenage years. You know, what was life like for you growing up in Ukraine? Yeah. So basically at first I thought, a very nice family, very lovely family. But then suddenly I recognized that I was sexually abused by my brother, mm -hmm. five years old. Wow. Yeah. That's and really tough. Then I was abused him physically and emotionally 
until 27 years old. Was that your brother as well or was that other people in the family? No, it was him. It was him. So from five years old, he was sexually abusing you and varying forms of abuse continued until you were 27. Uh, Talking about sexual abuse, it was probably, as I remember, because time to time, our brain just clean mind. Yeah. So from I remember, it was probably one year, maybe two year. Yeah. But because of my father, he loved me and he taught me how to build the boundaries. Yes. It actually helped me on that time, said him, no, I don't like it. I don't want it. Right. So you were actually very young, but your your father was, uh, I guess he didn't know about what that was happening exactly. to your brother. But your father was teaching you about boundaries and you were able to use that with your brother to stop. I don't want you to do that. However, he was still physically and verbally abusive. Is that fair to say for many years? Yeah. Yeah, because my father later, he become an alcoholic. Yes. And exactly at that time when I need him. Yeah. I want to talk with someone. And I find out about this at 10 years old. Mm. I was small. I didn't know what happened to me. Yeah. So around 10 years old, I recognized that I was sexually abused. Yes. And it was terrifying. Yeah. I thought I'm dirty. Yeah like a black sheep Mm. and I just want to take this skin off from me, Mm. which is impossible. Mm. And I close myself Mm. and I thought my father would help me, but he become an alcoholic. So he wasn't available. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't able to support you. Yeah. And uh, it was continued for years and suddenly I just gave up on him. Mm. How old was your brother, if you don't mind me asking? How much was he older than? Well, I yeah, assume yeah. He was older. So that is eight years between us. I'm thirty-two. Right. So he was significantly older, and therefore had a, a substantial amount of power in that in that sense, because that's a, a big difference for you know five and then obviously thirteen, um, and very like you say, very confusing and. Because of the way the brain develops, we don't always understand what's going on until we get a little bit older. And then when you have that realization that this has happened, um, children self-abandon. They, they, they aren't able to analyze information properly. So they do look at themselves and say, I'm dirty. There's something wrong with me. They don't necessarily have the ability to say, hang on a minute. What's going on for my brother that he's doing this to me? We can't do that at that age. And so if you don't have safety and you don't feel like you've got anyone you can tell if you don't know that you are allowed to tell then you're dealing with that on your own as a young person and 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 of course the brain adapts to that so very complex difficult things to be dealing with so early on in life um how how did you start to realize okay so he's not sexually abusing me anymore but there's this other type of abuse and control going on at what point did you sort of realize that that was also really bad, you know, with your brother? Because sometimes emotional abuse, coercive control, they're not as easy to understand as abuse, especially going back a few years. We didn't know so much about those things yeah. then. So how did you deal with that? What was the the sort of situation like for you? Was he living with you? Were you... Yeah, he was living with us time to time. And then he... He was in the prison, then came back again, mm. and he has been in prison three times. Right. And every time when he came back, he wanted money for drugs, for alcohol. Mm-hmm. So literally, he just burned his life. Yeah. And obviously, he didn't have this money. He asked me, mm. you have to give me money or I will burn this house. So that's how he emotionally abused me. So he would threaten you. Yeah, and even physically, because I remember we had an argument and he just took my fingers, put them in a window and closed this. <gasps> so he was just violent. And, yeah, exactly. And an addict as well, like yeah. clearly problems for himself, but no excuse for, for what he did. 
So this goes on until you're 27 years old. Uh, not long ago, actually. Yeah. You, you said you were 30? Uh, till uh, 27. Yeah. How old are you now? 32. So it's really only five years ago that mm. this, this stopped. That is exactly when I start my therapy. Yeah. Because I had enough. Yeah. And I want to children, but I don't want to give this trauma to my children. Mm. So you've done the work. Yeah. And I feel from what you said to me off camera that you were kind of dealing with that. This this sort of very stressful, traumatic situation with your brother. Yeah. Then war hits in Ukraine. Yeah. And the stress of what's happening in your country means that you have to leave and come to the UK to seek refuge. Tell me about how that affected you because you've got all that trauma in the childhood. Um, And we're going to come back to the bits that, you you know, the life that you built whilst you were in Ukraine and then sort of what you lost. But I know you said something earlier to me about, you know, you were kind of dealing with it and and living quite well, I guess, because you'd built up this business uh, that we'll refer to later. But you come to the UK and it's like you regress because of all the stress that's happening, having to move here. Yeah. Tell me about, before we go back, tell me about what it must have been like for you to come here from your country. You had to find a sponsor to to move in. Tell me about how that worked for you at the time. Yeah, so basically I came here by a sponsorship program. Mm -hmm. They call it Home for Ukraine. Yes. Government provided me a sponsor. And I live with him. Mm-hmm. I came here with my mom and my cat. Mm-hmm. And everything seems to be nice. We were friendly. We support each other. We have fun. So everything nice. And my sponsor, he is a single man, uh, 54 years old on that time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he found out me interesting. Like, mm. oh, this attractive woman, she's close to me. And unfortunately, my sponsor, he is an alcoholic mm. and he has mental problem. There are a lot, a lot on his plate. Mm. So I don't judge him. Mm. That is his brain. Mm. He tries and survive, but probably on the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, he gave me an interest. I reject this. And then later, he probably again, when he was drunk, he just kicked me out from home twice. Right. So having choice, I had to move and find another apartment. So you how long were you living there? Did you say four months? Um, I think so. At first, I came in England. I spent three months at sponsor house. Yeah. Then with mom. Then I came back in Ukraine. I spent there two months because right. I thought, okay. Uh, maybe maybe I can change something maybe I can rebuild my business yeah but that's my home yeah I don't want to leave it they're all what I have had yeah and my mom she stay a sponsor at that time but during that two months I recognize nothing yeah I have nothing anymore life never would be the same Never, ever. So I just lie in a bed without electricity, air alert every time, every time, every time. And I think, right, I have no choice. Got to go back. Of course I have choice, but I I choose myself. I choose myself. I came back in England and I'm trying to rebuild my life. Mm. So just to recap, you come here, this guy that you live with, he gives you a home unfortunately he's an alcoholic he's got mental health issues when he's drinking he can't cope with having you near him because you know he might have found you attractive and it was all a bit too much so he kicks you out you go back to the ukraine where nothing's the same where war is happening um you've got these alerts and and you're just like i've got to make a decision here for the rest of my life because that my business is gone now just to uh talk about that for a minute to talk about what you were actually leaving you you're a photographer yeah you were a model and you were even a tv presenter you were an influencer you had an amazing business that you'd worked really hard at and 
things were really going very well in the Ukraine for you until exactly. the war. Exactly. And I was proud of myself. Yeah. I mean, you had a really good life. So when that war kicked off, um, you really were in an awful position because you'd lost so much, like so many other people in the Ukraine, I'm sure. But not only that, you had this history of trauma with your brother. Your father was an alcoholic and wasn't there really to support you. You would, you would, despite that trauma with your brother and how complex that was, you had really built this brilliant life and then it was gone, just gone. And you have to do it all by yourself all over again and come back to the UK. I mean, what an awful, awful situation because to be abused by a family member is, as I know, you know, I'm very open about my own story, intrafamilial sexual abuse is, is a difficult one to, yeah. to overcome because that's your family. That's where you should feel safe. Yeah, a person who you love, used to love. Yeah, and 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 you you do love them. And despite the fact that that's your brother or, in my case, my father, you still have a part of them that you love and there's a real conflict with that. So for you to set up a business and to, you know, really strive and thrive and then for it to be taken away. I mean, it's like, I've got no idea of what it's like to live in war, but when COVID hit, I thought I was going to lose my business, this place here that you're sitting in and the clinic. And and I had a real fear of just losing everything, everything I'd worked so hard for. So although I will never know what you've been through there, I know what it's like to face the thought of losing everything. And it's awful. So to actually, to actually lose it all, come to a country where you're limited in your, in your language and have to start on your own, where you've got no friends, no community, nothing i mean how how does someone go through all of that and survive that's why i said earlier i wanted to come back to that little bit so we we had you know context to how much you'd actually lost um no family here anymore because your mum actually decided to go to russia she's yeah. actually russian isn't she so by the time you decided to come back to the uk you had your cat and yeah. that was it you know, and, and again, I've got to say, with all of that you've been through already, no family, trauma from the past, you're triggered because, you know, the stress of having to move here is bringing back old traumas from the past. You've got your cat, but you had to find somewhere to live. Tell me about how difficult that was for you, you know, just coming back to the UK after, after that whole situation being kicked out and then going back to the Ukraine. What was it like having to so make that? So basically, I came back in England and then my sponsor kicked me out twice. Oh, I see. So you actually came, he didn't kick you out until after you come back. Thank yeah. you for correcting me on that. Yeah. So you actually had, thought you had somewhere to come back to, but then he kicked you out. Yeah. Got you. So you've made the decision to be here. He then kicks you out. Sorry, that was my bad. Um, what do you do next? So I find an apartment immediately. I was desperate. Yeah. I don't think like I was mm, this apartment or this apartment. I don't like this car. No. If someone may say, mm, you can live here. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes. So anything. Because everyone said me, no. Everyone reject me. I don't have history. I don't have credit history. I don't have education history. No review. Who I am? Fuji. Mm. Wow. So how did you find somewhere? Because you had no money either, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine. About... I saved some money, but yeah. there wasn't a lot. So that's, that's why I can't find like like a proper apartment. Yes. All what I can have is just room, small yeah. room, single yeah. room, which I obviously find at the time. Yeah. And then because you had your business and you come here and you are a photographer and you, you know you're you're obviously wanting to do that that's what you do and modeling and so on how do you then you know make ends meet so make your money make your your living what what happened then yeah so i tried different sites apply there who need photographer who need a model who need i don't know actress at least mm. And there wasn't a lot of suggestion, mm -hmm. just few. Mm -hmm. And that is not enough for mm -hmm. living. Maybe today, maybe next week or these months, I would have enough of project. And next month, nothing. But I need to pay a bill. Yeah. And I was very anxious about this. Yeah. I feel like, what should I do? 
And I tried to find a job, but again, because of the language, language barrier, because I don't have any education, any diploma. Now, I have a diploma. I have a master's degree of economy, but in my country... Yeah, it doesn't transfer all the time, does it? No. So, the last decision was Tesco, and I decided to work nights during the weekend, Mm. and then during the week, do photography and other projects. So, you were then having to... You've got a master's of a master's degree in economy in your country. Yeah, you've obviously built up a business in your country, um, and then you're having to really think: How do I survive? And you're taking on jobs that they're they're really honest jobs. I don't want to knock them at all, but for you, having had your own business and you know being a an educated person, you have to make decisions which are about okay, where's the money coming from? And you worked, yeah. which which allowed you to then continue to focus on your projects. Um, More power to you, because a lot of people would give up. They would have given up in childhood. They might have turned to alcohol and drugs themselves. They would have maybe given up after being, you know, thrown out by their sponsor. They would have maybe gone and and, and looked at benefits and what they could do to survive there and, and perhaps got into the wrong crowd or, but you were just very sure of what you needed to do. Where did you find that, strength that ability to keep getting up out of bed every day and keep trying and keep pushing because it's not easy you know you had in my opinion probably no doubt complex PTSD from childhood your father as you say was an alcoholic your mum went to Russia you're on your own you've got a cat that you need to also find someone to look after while you find the house that you can bring your cat to um You've got the trauma of what's going on in your country, the trauma of losing your business, and yet here you are getting up day after day, working, building projects, reaching out to people. Where do you find that? Like, how did you do it? So I need to say that is what I credit my father for. Mm. Yeah, he became an alcoholic, but that is not whole story. No. So he was very very intelligent person mm-hmm. everyone respect him he was my hero but then yes suddenly he become an alcoholic mm-hmm. and i yeah i gave up on him mm-hmm. but later he fell in coma and then when th- when the doctors say to us he has a tumor for ages so that was the reasons why on his brain was it yes wow. why he started drinking because he was so scared ella he was dying alone oh my life and he didn't say it anyone he kept it to himself yeah for ages and that is was the most probably devastating thing for me because i gave up in person whom i love more than anyone else but he was dying alone at that time Wow. And if I would knew, I would raise a spend time with him, even if he drunk. Yeah. But that was his last, last days. That must have really broken you, actually. Because you didn't get the opportunity to be with your father because he was, was he? I, I know when people are dying, they're scared for people to see them as weak. They don't want to be vulnerable with their children. They want to be remembered a certain way. And so they kind of shut off and push people away. Is that what you feel your father did? Yeah, I think so. But in the past, when I was a child, I mm. thought, why he choose an alcohol? Yeah. Not his family. So I was offended. Yeah. Because you couldn't make sense yeah. of it at the time. And then when I find out about this, I felt guilty that I left him alone. Yeah, so you had to carry that. Did he survive that or is is he still with us or did he pass away? I think uh, I think I understood. I understood his choice, yeah. but it's still painful for me. Of course. Because I can't change anything anymore. Yeah. And, and I still love him. Is he is he did he die or did he is he still no, here? He, he passed away. So when did he pass away? 11 years ago. 11 years ago, okay. So, I mean, before the war and everything else, but still you would have been 
21 at yeah. the time. So you were very young when you lost your father. Very young. And that must have just been tragic. But you'd spent a long time thinking, he's choosing alcohol over me. You know, I'm so upset and, you know, maybe even angry at times. I was so angry. Ellen. Yes. And that is actually, at some point, it was devastate me, destroy me. And at some point, it's helped me survive. So what I'm trying to say, I was angry at him. Obviously, I was angry at myself. Yeah. But I turned it and I was angry to him like... You lied to me. You didn't say me. You made a wrong decision. And it's definitely helped me for some period of time mm. survive. Mm. And when I spoke with my friends, I spoke about him in a present time, mm. like he's still alive. Mm. And at first time, they just ignore it. Mm. And then afterwards, my friends asked me, like, I have a question for you. Do you make it on purpose or you just forget? I say, no, I made it on purpose because he didn't die. He just leave me alone. Yeah. So that's how angry I was. Yes. And then already later during my therapy, we understood that I angry to myself that I gave up on him mm -hmm. during his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. However, I'm going to say here, you gave up on him at a time where you were very young. You didn't understand why he was turning to drink. He didn't tell you that. You didn't know. All you knew is that your dad, who was your hero, wasn't there for you anymore. So the anger that you felt at the time and the decisions that you made at the time were at a time before your prefrontal cortex is even fully developed, which is that front part of the brain. Yeah. But also, you were making those decisions based on what you know. You now know about the brain tumour. You knew after he died about... But that wasn't something that you had at that moment in time. Yeah. So you could only ever feel the way you felt based on what you knew. And obviously, as we get older and we become more educated about alcoholism, you know, addiction, we understand it more. But at that age, many people don't understand, especially when it's your own parents. All you're going to feel is the rejection, the abandonment. And let's not forget for you, there was already abuse and, you know, a terrible situation with your brother happening that you were having to navigate and heal from. Um, so it was a lot for a very young person. And that part of you that developed the anger was a protector part. Yeah. You know, it was only your unconscious mind trying to protect you from the rejection or from the abandonment. And so I know you probably know that now having done the therapy, but for yeah. those listening that may be experiencing um, a parent with addiction, it's important to understand that you can only know what you know. And I think having self-compassion and looking back at the version of you that you were, which was you know, much younger and, and vulnerable. I think it's so important to remember that you only knew what you knew. And, and now with hindsight, you can look back and say, I wish, but it was never your fault. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And I'm sure you know that. But yeah. it's important to share that. And, you know, how multifaceted already your life has been, you know, so much to deal with abuse, addiction, grief, and war. And then you come to the UK, you've got to start all over again, all, all on your own. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. You are a superwoman. <laughs> Not only do you look like a superwoman, you live your life like a superwoman. So working at Tesco's, paying the bills. But how do you start to make friends? You've got nobody here. Like, how did you start to build your community? So, at first, I joined to Farley Hospice Volunteer Company. Mm -hmm. So, they took me, and there was a very lovely woman. I love them. Aww. Yeah, they're a little bit older, but they're 
very funny. Oh. <laughs> I love them. Every time when I go there, they give me support, they listen to me, make jokes, ask you, do you need this, do you need that? And I felt very safe around them mm-hmm. because at that time I was a little bit a very about man. Yeah. Like maybe they want to use me again, you know, because, yeah. because of... Um, because of stress is um, reflection. Yes. So, yeah. And I thought, like, right. Here I'm feeling safe. Yeah. But I still needed uh, people who say my age. Yeah. And I think with a woman it was more hard. Mm. Because every time when I tried to build connection with a woman, they wasn't so interested in me. So you found that really difficult. Yeah. You found that women would be, younger women your age, you mean, they would find it hard to connect to you. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Do you think it was about, I referenced at the beginning, didn't I? And and I'm going to be honest, because I think it's really important. You know, you walked in and I'm like, oh God, you're so beautiful. And it's obvious, you're so beautiful. Um, And I know that, and I've just done an episode that's out right now with Tracy Kiss and I referenced when I was younger and I, you know, still recovering from my own abuse and being overweight at the time. I was never jealous in a horrible way, so I would never be horrible to anyone, but I would look at beautiful girls and just feel so insecure in myself that I would be so uncomfortable to be around a beautiful woman because I'm going to stand out like, you know, we say here, I don't know if you know this phrase, like a sore thumb. So I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb. Like you are going to notice me if I'm standing next to this beautiful girl. So I'm going to stand (laughs) in the corner over there. Um, So I think if you're insecure, a beautiful girl can make you feel more unattractive. Yeah. But no one can make you feel something you don't already feel. So for example, if I feel beautiful, which I, I do now, even if I'm not the most beautiful girl in the room, I feel beautiful. So if I feel beautiful, I can be around everyone and enjoy them. And actually, even at school, I would always be around the pretty girls because they were having so much fun. And I was like, I want to be what I want to do what they're doing because they, they look like they're having a good time. Still very aware that I was never the attractive girl. But I've always had that ability to be able to meet someone for the internal version of themselves, how they present to me. If you're kind to me and you're you're a lovely person, I want to be around you because it's good energy. But I know that you must have had some difficulty making friends with some girls because they do feel maybe uncomfortable around you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. But also I think on that time... Uh, it was very, very hard time for me in general. I think maybe one year mm. because I was up and down. In, in your own mental health? Uh, yeah. Everyone wants to be around positive people. Yeah. And on that time, I really needed people around me. Yeah. And not like, oh, let's let's meet next month. No, I need you right now. Right. I need you right now next to me, not on the phone. Yeah. I want to grab you on a coffee and handle your hand. Yeah. And maybe just be in silence. Yeah. That's what I needed. You were so anxious. Yeah, I was so anxious. I was so lost. And I really needed people on that time. Mm. And people whom I had on that time, they didn't have a lot of times. Yeah. They couldn't give me this. Mm-hmm. So, and also up and down, it was hard for them. Yeah. So probably there was a very of me, oh my God, maybe crazy woman, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I felt crazy woman. Like, well, you would have been. I mean, let's face it, what you were going through would make anyone be up and down. But actually, when you've got no friends, like if you're up and down and you're around friends you've known for years, you've got your safety net. But when you haven't got anyone... And you must be going through so much in that first year. I mean, let's face it, it's still only been a year and a half since you've left Ukraine. Um, I can only imagine, I can only imagine it must have just been such a horrible, horrible, difficult, challenging, scary time. Um, And how did you then find your relationships with men? Because like you said, you referenced there starting to work for the hospice as a volunteer, yeah, you had some sort of like, oh, I don't know if I can trust men. What, you know, after, expe- with your sponsor, he sort of got attached to you in the wrong way. And 
having been sexually abused as a child and not knowing how to maybe make friends with men. How did you find your people that you could trust? I know you had some older people there, but did you start to make friends with younger men, younger women of your own age? Yeah, of course. But I think if we would talk about men, I was more push them. Push them away. Yeah, push them unconsciously. Yeah. So I thought my behavior is fine. Mm. I'm lovely. I'm charming, which I am. Yes, you are. But <laughs> but unconsciously, I pushed them away. Yeah. And they felt rejected every time. And I was wondering, why, why are they rejected? I'm normal. Because I didn't recognize this. Yeah. Yeah, I used to believe I healed as much as is possible, but because of the stress, yes, it brought me back, yeah, to my childish behavior, yeah, and I started project this childish behavior, yeah, like push and pull, push mm. and pull. You want them, but then you're too close, yeah, and yeah. I was scared, like what if, what if, yeah, and what were you scared of that they would hurt you? Uh, I think so. Mm. Was it? Were you still scared of rejection at the time as well, do you think? No, I don't think I scared of rejection. I think I scared more to hurt people. Because thought... I know that I can do this. Ah, tell me about that then. What makes you think that you can be the one that hurts them? What what kind of things have happened? So this was recently on during my therapy, because I still do this. Mm. I spoke with my therapist and I had one dream in a night, just with one. But every time when he said to me, if this dream is very, very colorful for you, just write it down. Yeah. And we will speak about this. So I had a very colorful dream and wrote it down, spoke with my therapist. And then we find out I have a dark side. Yeah, we all do. We, we all do. The shadow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I try to control this. Oh, but it still exists, you of know. Course. Of course. So I know that, for example, oh, you hurt me, so I will hurt you back. Yeah, that's, that's that's normal, natural way. Yeah, but I don't want to follow this way. Yeah, if you hurt me, you have your own reasons for this. Mm. Definitely, that's your shadow hurting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have your background, yeah. and maybe even worse than mine. Yeah, and if I would hurt you. I would project my background, yeah. but I don't want, I don't want to do this. So that's why you were pushing yeah. them. Then my uh, dark side would control me. Mm. No, I don't want this. Well, I mean, the fact that you were in therapy is phenomenal because a lot of people never, I mean, as you know, I'm a psychotherapist and I, I love my job and I love the fact that people come forward and they're willing to be vulnerable and look at the dark side and look at the shadow. And for those that don't know about the shadow, I'll just reference Carl Jung, Carl Jung's work, who, you know, Carl Jung's phenomenal and most of you will have heard of him that are listening, but he talks about the personal shadow and the collective shadow and how we are, and actually, interesting, you've got your personal shadow there that is your trauma, your abandonment, you know, attachment issues as a result of that. But collective shadows are about religion, war, mm. what's happening in our community, society. So you're gonna have lots of kind of dark spots there to exactly. deal with. Um, and so you're saying to me, if you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. And I know that about myself now, so I've gotta push you away, because. I have to work on me. Okay, well, I mean, that in itself, high emotional intelligence to understand I need to just keep you at arm's length. I don't want to go down that road. Yeah, and I like how you say, for example, if you have a lot of spots, for example, even the war. Yeah. Uh, from, I don't know if I can speak about politics. Yes, you can but, say what you like. But I don't understand... No, I understand these people, but I don't want to follow this way. What I'm trying to say, so because of the war, yeah. and w they destroyed a lot, a lot of territory in my country, mm. almost third part mm. of our country. Mm. And if we measure this, it's like a whole United Kingdom. Wow, it's a lot. That's a lot. How many people died? Yeah. It's... I even can find the right word for this because it's terrifying, it's yeah. horrific. Yeah. And so because of this, our people, they started hate them. Yeah. And they wish death to 
them. Yes. Like pay the same ticket. And, yes. And even to children, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I have, I have seen these deaths mm. because I have been there. I have seen this war. Yeah. And this terrifying. But I can say, I wish you death as well. No. Because you made this with my country. Yeah. I, I can say this. It's such a such a horrible thing to have to go through you know just the thought of what's happening to your country and then you know people feeling hatred towards another country as a result of that but there's deaths on both sides and you know like you say you can't wish for that you don't want that to be the dark spot within you because yeah. you're the only one that carries that um it's like the chinese proverb about anger when they talk about, you know, when you're angry, it's the poison that you carry. Nobody else suffers from your anger. And it's about understanding, compassion. You know, not only compassion for yourself, but compassion for the world. You know, I always think that it's easier said than done, of course. You can't just be compassionate straight away if there's personal loss and grief. And, you know, you would have experienced that. But it's always working towards that, isn't it? I think trying to find the understanding so that you can release yourself from the anger. And it, and it appears that you've done that throughout your entire life. It, it appears that although at first you were angry with your dad, when you understood, obviously you let that go. You might still be angry with your brother, I'd assume, that there's still some things there. But I also know from the conversations we've had that you've probably tried to understand your brother. Is that fair? Yeah, and you know... We spoke with my therapist about my brother, and I think I let, I let it go because you say, what would you say to him if mm. you met him? You know, we never actually spoke with him about what's happened. Yeah, that I still remember about this. Yeah, and what I would like to say him, look, I remember everything, what you have done with me. Yeah, and I'm not sorry you. But I feel sorry for you. Yes. Because he's probably the most unhappy person in the world. Yeah. And I know about this. Mm. It's so true, isn't it, that that's something that he will continue to carry whilst you continue to heal, grow, build a new community, a new life, and be as successful as you were before, undoubtedly, because you've got a drive within you, which is just, like I said, superwoman. Um, he will have to carry what he's done for the rest of his life. It feels like he's trying to escape it through addiction already. Um, and it's really sad. And and I'm, I'm an advocate for understanding people that sexually abuse. Um, because we don't, we don't change. We don't rehabilitate if we don't understand the drivers behind the people that sexually abuse children or people that are less powerful than themselves or even physically, emotionally, you know, coercively control. I think the only way that we'll ever really understand abuse is when we try to take a step back and study the abusers and thoroughly, you know, spend time understanding and showing a bit of compassion because and I think I've said this a thousand times already, but I don't believe people wake up one day and go, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and sexually abuse or physically abuse. Exactly. Or, yeah. yeah. No one ever Smart. makes... Yeah, it, no one does that. It, it is in a culmination of traumas or deeply uh, complex psychological disorders or deeply troubled people that do these things. So we have to understand. And what you've done there is extremely powerful. And I know... When I wrote the book and I know you brought the book and you saw some of the, the reviews of the book and so on and you said to me earlier on today, you said, you know, I kind of, I wanted to, to get a message out there to other people that have gone through this because you'd seen that people are, oh, thank God this book's come along. Yeah. It's been really helpful. And, and, you know, you being open about that part of your life, you said, well, you tell me what you said. You said why you wanted to do this today. Yeah, because... I saw lots and lots of messages from women who actually had the same experience yeah. or similar one. Yeah. And they mostly say, not everyone, mostly yeah. say like, oh, thank you, your book 
gave me a hope mm. and I also hope one day I will start to live my life yeah so they just waiting for that moment yes. healing moment during the journey yeah and me I'm here like example that yes you can live your life even mm. when you are healing during your journey yeah it's possible enjoy your life yeah because time is going Mm. No, you're right. Never a truer word said, actually. You don't know how long you've got. Exactly. You you could think, right, and you're right, a lot of the message I've received are that women that have never told anyone. The book was maybe the first thing that they've ever sort of seen that resonates with them. And a lot of those women have been raped and sexually abused themselves. And you're right, they've waited for a moment. They're, they're maybe still waiting for that moment. Um, but you, you have to grab the 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 beautiful moments you have to have the gratitude for the bits that are going i mean i say this to you and it almost feels wrong because i'm saying to you have gratitude and and you've struggled for for so long especially more recently with the ukraine stuff um and yet somehow you still got this live your life even when it's bad even when you're you're fleeing from a war-torn country yeah. even when you've got nowhere to live and no money live your life and try your best <laughs> if you can do that with all of those things in your way those obstacles then you really are a living testament to how it can be done however i've got to say something with that because there will be people listening that have been through um clinically speaking less trauma um that may go well actually she's been through all of that and she's still you know gratitude is still there and she's still trying and she's still pushing forward why can't do it why can't i do it and she can what do you think it is that you found within yourself that enables you to push forward it's a probably a really difficult question to ask uh, and People have asked me that same question on various podcasts and I've said, I think it's just rock bottom. You just hit the worst possible place and you've got no choice. Yeah. It's sink or swim. But it's not really it's not really easy to answer that question. Yeah, it's quite difficult. Yeah, it's quite a difficult question. And when I'm thinking about time to time, I'm just, I feel fair. Yeah. Yeah, I feel fear inside yeah. me. And then I just like, Right, you wouldn't so you you wouldn't win. Me, I wouldn't win. Yeah. Today, right now, just do it. Yes, just do it. I Doesn't say that matter. a lot. Just do it. One step in front of the other, one foot at a time. Have there been days where you've really struggled to get out of bed, though? Have there been days where you've sort of like just wanted to get curl into a ball and and hide away? Oh, a lot of time. Mm. When I just came here in England um, after the war, I was, I thought, you know, my first thought was like, life would never be the same, which is actually true. Mm. And I was so scared. I was lost. And I used to learn English in my country, but American one. Yeah. And when I came here in England, first I was, yes, scared, depressed. I just spent maybe one month in a bed yeah and time to time i just went out to the local shop but i was also scared to go in a shop because it was like a local community and everyone know to know each other uh, yeah. and they want to speak with you yeah and i was freak out yeah for me i expect people would speak english here but that is british and for me it was quite noisy i was like oh my god what kind of language is it? Yeah, it didn't feel not, the it's, same. It, it's not it's not English. Yeah. What kind of language? I, I was scared to go in the shop. Oh, that must have been really... Actually, thinking about that, because, you know, as you will know, the English are not notorious for speaking several languages. We tend to only speak English. <laughs> so if ever we're abroad, like we know the basics, English people do not bother learning languages. Um and if ever I've been in a, a country where I don't speak the language, I get I get scared ordering something in a restaurant. Like, 
oh, they're going to think I'm silly and I'm going to get it wrong and I'm not going to understand what they're saying. And thank goodness for Google Translate because that obviously helps. But I can only imagine like that's on holiday. You're only there for a week or two. And if you're not confident with languages, okay, it, it won't be hard. We'll work it out. But if this is where you live and going to the shop is scary, that is challenging. Yeah. I mean, I think we forget because obviously the UK, we have a lot of um, diverse people here. We've got lots of people with lots of different languages from lots of different places. And we sometimes maybe take it for granted that, oh, well, you know, just get on with it. You know, good old crack on. But actually, it's really scary, isn't it? Yeah. But I remember when I went to the shop and I spoke to the people, I think like, right, there is my time. <laughs> and look, uh, more than one year, I have a podcast with you. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. I am not in a local shop. No. Where I am. Yeah, you are in a studio doing a podcast in a language that's not your first language. And this is the girl that was scared to go to the shop because she didn't speak the language yeah. and that you know it, and, and you drove here from Colchester yeah so again like I struggle to drive in the UK from one place to another in case I get lost and I've lived here my entire life <laughs> the fact that you can just go yeah I'll do it but there's something about you there's something about you it's really interesting that you've just and I think it's you know I'm sure lots of people from different countries come here and they have to navigate how to drive but there are a lot of women particularly women from certain cultures that come here and they never learn the language. They're scared like you were, but you're on your own and you're doing it. So it, it's it's incredible. That's why I keep saying you're like superwoman. Oh, thank you. But I still learn English and I'm enrolled on GCC. Oh, are you? Yeah, and I expect learning English and GCC, it's science of English. Yeah. And I was, what am I doing here? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm not a writer. What are you doing here? But it's so good that you're doing it. You push yourself. So tell me, how is the photography taking off? Because I saw your work with my beautiful, beautiful Jax Feely. Love him. I know. I know. When I saw the photos, I, he looked so comfortable with you as well. And I know that you really struggled to get the photography stuff off the off the ground. How are you doing with it now? Where are you now with your work? And and what's the next thing for you with your art? Because it is an art, isn't it, photography? So what's the next thing? Yeah, so basically, as for now, I work for Brunswick Art Gallery. Lovely. And we can say a part of this stuff. Yeah. So time to time, we have often events. Yeah. And I'm needed. Yes. Which I'm happy about. Yes. So kind of like um, as and when they need you. Yeah. And are you um, doing any private photography within that? Is that something that you would like to set up yeah. as a freelancer doing yeah. your own thing? And and how would that look for you? How would you make that happen? Is that based on people contacting you or do you have to put yourself out there? How do you do that in this modern day world now? So they have uh, like an app site. Yeah. Uh, you can upload there your portfolio. Yes. And then people find you, speak to you about budget, about requirements. Yeah. And I remember my last clients, they sent me several stuff, like a bus robe for bride maid, mm. some glasses, some stuff for babies. And uh, they later put all this photo on Amazon. And I remember I scrolled Amazon, like, oh, hello, that's me. <gasps> So it's your work? Yeah. And they were selling it? Yeah. And you weren't getting paid? Yeah, of, no, I paid. Oh, so there was paid. Kind of, yeah, it's project. Good. Yeah, and I then later I was scrolling Amazon and feeling like, oh, that is me, that's my project. Oh, that's also me. So you're actually getting it out there? Yeah. And what kind of photography do you like to do? Mm. What's your favourite? I love make a private photo shoot for very sexy, gorgeous woman. Oh, so you like the sort of sensual yeah. female stuff. I love people in general, yeah. but I love beautiful women. Yeah, that's really nice. So what kind of stuff do you mean? Like the boudoir stuff where it's sort of a bit dark and light. And... Everything, everything. I yeah. like play around. And time to time, from what I learn, 
that also happened with me in Ukraine in the past. So I used to work with a woman uh, who very insecure. Mm. So they want photo shoot for confidence. Yeah. Love but it. that was their first photo shoot and they was very shy they didn't know what to do that's what i love and yeah. you say oh wow you have very nice beautiful hair and she oh seriously and that is natural shooting yes and then you speak with her she opens she opened more 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 and in the end from very shy girl we have hot confident woman oh the side like Oh, this is good. Yeah. Female empowerment. Love it. So you know how to bring that side of the yeah. woman out. Because it's really hard to... I said, who was it I said this to recently on a podcast? Tracy Kiss again, oh. who was a glamour model. She did OnlyFans and she did it all. And she's also got an amazing story. Lovely woman, Tracy is. Um and we talked about, you know, sexual things and, and that kind of stuff. And she's very proud of her sexuality and just like no problems with confidence. And I said, well, that's phenomenal. Like, get it all out. Have the lights on. Have the spotlights on. But me, no thank you. I will hide in the dark. <laughs> Covers over my head. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> so the fact that you've got that thing where you can bring the confidence out and make women feel beautiful who may not feel beautiful. I just love that. I think that's really beautiful to share not only your beauty, but also the inner beauty of other people and let that show on the canvas. Yeah. And then afterwards, when they see a result, they shocked. They impressed. Like, oh my God, that is me. Yeah. I can be like this. Yeah. Say, of course, that is whole you. Wow. And that's a gift that just mm. keeps on giving, isn't it? Not even the image, just the feeling that you bring on for yeah, them. Yeah, some of them even cried. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, I couldn't imagine that I can look like this. And she cried. For me, it's the best, best gift. Their that's emotion. Beautiful. beautiful. And and obviously that makes you feel proud of yourself because yeah. you've been able to do that with them. And that's really, I would imagine, quite difficult when someone's so nervous and so insecure to get them to the place where you bring out that sexy side. Can't be easy. Yeah. But you've obviously got something about you, again, that allows you to be able to do that for other people as well, which is lovely. So if people hear this and they say, I want to come and see Natalia and do some work with her. Would they be able to work with you? Would they be able to contact you and get you as their photographer? Yes, always welcome. Oh, I love this. Now, how would they find you? What's your for? I know what it is and we'll share it on all of the platforms. What's your um, Instagram handles so they can come and find you? So, yeah, I have Instagram, my own Instagram or my Instagram where I have some samples of my work. Brilliant. What's your handle? What's your name on Instagram? Uh, is the, it Natalia's? My private one. Yes. Tesoro Pella. And your, which we will share. And what's the one where they can see all your work? Video Sokol. Video Sokol. Okay, so I will put them on the podcast so people can come and find you. Oh, I appreciate it. Yes, because I really would love to see you um, flourish with, with your work. And I know you're working for other people, but I think women that are listening to this that want to invest in a photo shoot for themselves, it would be lovely for them to be able to spend that time with you. And do you have studio spaces or do you travel around? I travel around, but I know one people, he's also <clears throat> photographer. Yeah. And we time to time work together. Great. And also I have makeup artist diploma. So you do their makeup for them as well? Yeah. So because, you do the whole package? Yeah, yeah. So some of them is very unconfident and that is better for them to work with one person yes so that's why i can provide yeah so you do the makeup you do the photography you do the confidence for them when they're there and then they end up with the most beautiful images that's beautiful really lovely to do that work and then um when you had your business in the ukraine you said they're about being an influencer doing some presenting work what was that for and and would you like to get into that again mm, i actually wouldn't like to do uh, as a presenter yeah you... i don't know why it's kind of stressful yeah because when you do this recorder people watch you yeah and they you know like 
they don't listen to weather they just watch your body yeah how it looks like uh, and it's just something what i don't like yeah you don't want that anymore Mm-mm. you'd rather be behind the camera now yeah and that's that's just shows that that's the artist in you you know you're more of a creator perhaps now than than ever before yeah and also i do art or uh, painting you do painting as well yeah. So you've got a really creative, I mean, actually that's, that's quite interesting because, you know, you talked about your master's and your degree in um, economy, yeah, which is numbers and finances and all sort of very logical, practical stuff. But you've also got a really creative mind as well. You don't always see the both. You don't always see someone who's really artistic as well as really practical and logical. So that's quite a gift in itself, isn't it? that you've got both sides of your brain fully engaged, like left and right, doing all of that stuff. And you've got this real real resilience to survive. It's like a very interesting mind for me. What is there left for you to, to do? What do you feel like you still need to do for yourself on your journey? What are you hoping for? What are your dreams and your aspirations? I think I still build a healthy relationship with myself yeah because time to time i can feel like maybe i don't love myself enough Mm. then how i can love other people more yeah so you're still on that journey to discover self yeah i think so well if you would ask people around me they wouldn't have said like no yeah she's all right she's the most lovely person but somewhere deep inside yeah i think that is something where I struggle with. Yes. It's almost like, I think for you, there's always that little part of you that's going to be fearful of judgment, rejection, and also of your own inner child with that kind of um, wanting to get you back kind of thing, wanting to yeah. attack you back if you attack me. Um And I think it does stay with us. One of the things that I always say to people is no one's ever fully healed. Like that is a myth. Yeah. You know, to try and aim for perfection is is always going to leave you feeling like a failure. So it's about accepting that that part of you is there and owning it, being authentic about it and saying, yeah, there's still some work to do. Um, I'm not fully healed. As you've sort of said there, there's still some self-love work to do. But it's okay. And as you referenced earlier, it's okay to live your life and to be grateful and to make the most of everything, even if you're not fully healed. But it's also good to be on that journey still and recognize that you owe it to yourself Yeah. to be your own best friend. Yeah, exactly. And I can say I am a happy person because I enjoy life. Yeah, time to time is still down. Yeah. Time to time I feel like, oh, I want to stay in bed. But then like, Oh, it's for so long. I need to do something. Maybe yeah. I will go to the gym. Yeah. Well, because you, you do. You look after your body, don't you? You're a real gym bunny. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed, and I think it shows because you're in amazing shape. But you're you've got a really good, healthy balance in your life. So I think you've got the creative stuff. You've got you know you look after your body. You're obviously beautiful, but you're you're intelligent. You've built this community through your volunteering. Tell me the name of the hospice that you help again. Farley Hospice. Farley Hospice. And what do they actually do there? What's the volunteering work? Is it people that are struggling with cancer? Or... Yes, exactly. Right, okay. So how does it look like? Um, they collect this stuff. Some people donate different stuff. It could be wherever. Yeah. Then we sort it, mm-hmm. sell it. And this money we give to people who has a cancer. Oh, that's lovely. It is. And that, that was something you wanted to do to make friends and to do something good for your life. And Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't want to just exist in this world. I want to be needed. I want to be helpful. Yeah. And so you went and offered your services to a really good cause. Yeah. And that was amongst, uh, that was during a time when you had to work at Tesco's. And, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um but it it was different. It was different for you to do that type of work, and you were volunteering, and you were still doing all the photography. So you kind of just you 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 came here, and you really made that decision to make it work, and you have. And I know you've only been here a year and a half, and there's still so much to to do. 
and there's so far that you can go with this. But I hope that people listening understand that no matter what you're going through, there's always a part of you that can come forward. I always say this, you could have five or six parts subconsciously showing up at once, the inner critic, the anger, the anxiety, the love, the gratitude, they could all exist together. And sometimes you've just got to bring the love and the gratitude forward you know the other parts are there, but they're in the background. Yeah. You know, listen to the love, listen to the gratitude, listen to hope. And you have done that and you're here today because of it. And I just want to say thank you for coming. I know you had a long journey to get here. I think it's a couple of hours, isn't it, Colchester? Almost three. Almost three hours on a Saturday in the cold and the dark. You've come all this way to be on this podcast. And I really want to say thank you for that. It was it. Oh, and Believe me. Uh, it will be worth it for the listeners as well. You know, you're going to give a lot of um, inspiration. And, and I think people will definitely take that away. You are an artist, you're a creator, you're a survivor, you're beautiful. You, you give that to other people through the photography as well, in terms of making them feel beautiful. And despite all of the bad things, you're still here being grateful and happy. And I think that's beautiful. So I want to thank you personally as well for how kind you've been to me over this, this mainly over Instagram, actually. And just, I really want to say this. I want to say, watch this space for Natalia, because I really think that we're going to see a lot more of you over the next couple of years. Because I know with your determination, you are going to reach the top. And I'm just really grateful that I've had this time with you before you go into the, the dizzy heights of whatever it is that you do because you're going to get busier and busier. So I will put the Instagram handles on so people can contact you direct. And um, thank you very much once again. Thank you so much, Ellen. Oh, I'm so happy to meet you finally. I'm really happy to meet you too and I know we're going to stay in touch. Oh, that's my dream. Well, we will. We're friends now. <laughs> oh, this.